Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christian men who want to hear well done from Jesus after running the race marked out for them. What do you think of the statement, God never intended a Christian man to fight his spiritual battles alone? Could that statement be true? And if it is, could Satan be constantly defeating Christian men today because it's so hard to get them connected to a few brothers to help them fight their spiritual battles? Could the world around us see Christians today as not very different from everyone else because Satan is neutralizing Christ's power at work in men by isolating us when men are supposed to be leading the way in spiritual battle? These are the questions this episode examines, as well as a strategy for getting men out of isolation, a strategy that is working in thousands of men's lives right now. Thanks for joining us today for Season 2, Episode number 44 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. This is the final episode in our series, Shaping Life by Christ's Priorities, as we head into the fall. We first saw that Jesus is quite clear about his priority for our lives. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To seek anything requires deliberate intentionality. We need to think through how we are going to pursue the righteous reign of Christ, his agenda for our heart attitudes and each sphere of our lives. We further saw last week that since the essence of humanness is exercising dominion over our lives and our environment, perhaps God built a rhythm into the very universe, a day of rest, reflection, renewal, and recalibration after going hard to shape the kingdom entrusted to us for six days. We asked, could we find an hour out of the 168 stewarded to us, perhaps on Sunday sometime, to sit with our commander-in-chief to reflect prayerfully on last week's and the coming week's mission? To do so has a cost, the cost of an hour a week, and the cost of intentionality, the price of self-discipline. There seems to be a law in the universe that nothing that is ultimately precious comes to us without the price of self-denial. The kingdom of heaven, said Jesus, is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Investing one hour a week to focus on our mission from Christ will bear enormous dividends in our lives and that of our loved ones, but it will cost us. This week, we look at another investment that is not cheap, investing what it takes to go through life with a brother or two helping us and our loved ones fight our spiritual battles. In today's isolated, mobile, COVID-19-shaped world, Christians don't default into the kind of brotherhood connections that Jesus and his band of brothers experienced. It's worth noting, however, that the greenhouse which Jesus chose for growing his disciples was the context of male friendship. He called 12 disciples to be with him, which also meant, of course, being with each other. The 12 learned together, served together, lived together, at times failed together, and eventually faced growing hostility together. 
Jesus' discipleship approach was not meeting with Peter one-on-one Monday morning for breakfast, setting aside Monday lunch for Andrew, meeting John for breakfast on Tuesdays. His discipleship approach was to form a band of brothers who were with him. The Church of Jesus Christ has always believed that being a disciple of Jesus Christ includes both a vertical commitment to surrender to Jesus Christ and a horizontal commitment to connection with other members of the body. But what does that horizontal connection look like in the 21st century? One might argue, well, the disciples' relationships were great. They spent all day with each other, wandering around Galilee and Judea. But I have a job to go to, a wife, a family, and a house to care for, maybe elderly parents to look out for. And my life doesn't overlap with any of my Christian brothers. Well, I think that's a valid point. So the question must be, how absolute is this principle of needing a Christian brother? Well, let's consider Ephesians 4, verses 15 through 16, where Paul writes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Instead of being immature believers, writes Paul, I want you to grow up into spiritual maturity, and here's the process, speaking the truth in love. In context, Paul uses the word truth in contrast to being carried away by every wind of doctrine in the verse just before it. So we know that the truth he is referring to is the word of God. Since disciples apply the teaching of their master to their everyday lives, we know that the topic of discussion is how the Word of God applies to everyday life. But there's also a secondary meaning to the word that Paul uses for truth here. It is ah, which means not, combined with the verb for to hide, lanthano. So it means not hidden, not concealed. The truth-speaking that Paul is speaking about then is being honest about the intersection of our everyday lives with the Word of God. Notice the verb in the spiritual growth process, the action required of every member of the body, speaking. Reaching maturity requires every single person to be in a group small enough to speak about his own walk with Christ. The place where this speaking connection to each other that builds up the body takes place is the joint in this verse, the connecting point. Notice also the emphasis Paul puts on every single member being connected, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. What this text teaches is that no matter how inspirational the worship service, nor excellent the preaching, Christians will have stunted spiritual growth if they are not connected to other believers doing life together in groups small enough where they can speak. Acts 2.41 and 42 reinforces this same New Testament principle. We read, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What a dynamic church. And then we read, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the word, and the fellowship, 
that word being koinonia, which means sharing life together, to the breaking of bread in each other's homes, and to the prayers. If the teaching of Ephesians 4 and this text are not enough to show the importance of this brotherhood connection, consider the example of Jesus, who was intentional about building a closer brotherhood bond to Peter, James, and John than to the other nine. It was only to those three that he disclosed what was going on in his soul as he was about to be betrayed and nailed to a cross. So here's the challenge Christian men face today. Maximum spiritual growth can only take place in us when we're connected to believers who have our back. Being vulnerable, talking about the intersection of our lives with God's truth, is what grows us up into Christ. But Christian brothers don't walk around our community watching Jesus heal people as the disciples did. We don't eat together as the Twelve did, or even with the other believers as the early Christians did meeting in house churches. And nearly everything about American culture fosters independence. Our mobility causes us to worship one place, work another place, and live in a third neighborhood. The only way men will get connected to other brothers to experience the power of brothers on their knees for their battles and picking them up when they've fallen is to be intentional about forging brotherhood connections. Other than perhaps college or days in the military, our vocation, living quarters, and worship take us in three different directions and into different spheres of relationships. To be honest, not every Christian man today is going to experience a dynamic walk with Christ where iron is sharpening iron and where in the company of men they drink deeply of a fresh understanding of Christ's kingdom and just what it takes to enjoy a man's role in it because the cost is too high. It requires too much time investing in relationships with men. When our time as dads and husbands is at such a premium, too much spiritual energy overcoming our natural independence, too much courage overcoming our resistance to letting others know our failures and what's going on inside. It's just easier to have a few Christian friends, even be in a couple study where you show a glimpse of vulnerability, like the tip of the iceberg, when what's really going on in our lives is below the waterline. But for those willing to pay the heavy price, relentless intentionality, there are tools that help men down the path to brotherhood that countless men sense they are missing and know they need. But there's a price to be paid. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Like investing time to formulate a game plan to bring the spheres of our life under Christ's lordship, or investing an hour Sunday with our CO to review our mission, investing the time and energy required to build and maintain brotherhood connections as we walk through life is costly, but the benefits are undeniable. Tom Joyce, a retired Navy pilot who had been stationed at Naval Air Station Miramar, was a man who knew he needed brothers in his life. He recounts this story. He writes, Six other brothers and I met in the chaplain's office every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. for Bible study and prayer. These were strong brothers, accountability partners of mine. 
they found out that I had been selected to command a squadron that was located right down the road from the chaplain's office. One Tuesday morning, they all got to the study early, but when I arrived, there was a note in the door, report to Squadron 111 immediately. Well, that was a squadron I was going to command. So I drove over to the squadron. A young sailor let me in and took me upstairs to the commanding officer's office. They had a chair in the middle of that office and said, here's your future chair. They sat me down and one spokesman of the guy said, we know you're heading to this squadron right here to be the CO in the next couple of months. We want to help prepare you for that. Then one by one, they began praying into me the leadership principles from Joshua 1. Will you help this man, God, to know your word? Will you help this man, God, to live out your word? Will you help this man, God, to never forget who he has to report to and that he reports to you? Tom continues, you see, I had 270 men. They were all males in that fighter squadron at that time. 13 airplanes, each worth $55 million, an umpteen number of families connected to those men, a huge responsibility on my shoulders, and I knew where I was going. I was taking the men into a combat zone. My brothers sitting here with me were helping to prepare me for leadership. Connecting with brothers at this stage in his career wasn't any easier for Tom than it is for us. No one likes getting up to be at a 6 a.m. study, even naval officers. But Tom understood the value of that investment. Over the years, the most common sort of life connecting point for believers has been small group Bible study, either couple studies or same gender studies. Couple studies are inherently valuable, but men rarely gain the strength in a couple study that they get from meeting with other men simply because they can't share many of their struggles like lust or the challenge of trying to love their wives well. Some years ago, a pastor who had a high percentage of his guys in couples Bible studies was exasperated with the shallowness of what the guys shared in their couple study. He said, I want my guys to get together in groups of two to five at lunch. Could you write some questions that will get them talking about their spiritual battles? Here are the current questions, which we named Check Six Questions. What would it look like in your church if every guy had a breakfast with a guy and this was the agenda for that meeting? What encouragements or successes have you had this week? What biblical insight or verse from your quiet time has stood out to you recently? What's been the most difficult part of being the spiritual leader at home recently? Number four, personal accountability. Choose what you want your brothers to ask you about. Number five, Who are the non-believers you're building a relationship with, and how can I pray for your strategy to share Christ with them? Number six, what other spiritual battles can I help you fight through my prayer for you? We've found these questions to be an excellent starting point and overall structure, but what matters is the relationship. The questions are like training wheels that give the new relationship stability while it grows deep enough to share spiritual battles and lean on each other for strength and accountability. In today's fast-paced world, men find it difficult to give a night a week to a full men's Bible study, especially if they're already in a couple's study. 
But we have seen thousands of men find one hour a week when they can use these questions to connect, but don't have the time for a full Bible study. Here's a description of this kind of an hour-long meeting using these questions as the agenda. It is not a couple's group, but a band of brothers. Not a two-hour Bible study, but a 60-minute breakfast, lunch, or phone call. Not an evening away from your family, but an hour from your workday. Now, you don't steal that from your employer. You make it up, but it still comes out of your workday, generally. Three more characteristics. Not six to eight guys, but two to four guys. Not focused on learning, but focused on fighting. Not a meeting agenda that generates opinions, but a meeting agenda that generates connection as brothers. There's no one programmatic way to use this tool. It's just available for lots and lots of different situations. Here are a few examples of how it's being used today. First, meeting for breakfast before work. Guys would rather sacrifice sleep than time with their family, but before work doesn't work in areas with heavy commutes. Second, a men's leader in the Baltimore area tries to meet every new guy in the church for lunch at work and then match him up with other men who work near him. Third, in many couple studies, guys meet together with the ladies but split up for 50% of the time to use some of the questions and then pray for each other. Fourth, some large churches that have age and stage adult Sunday school classes have a men's ministry point man in each class who tries to get the guys together during the week using the questions. Fifth, with free long distance, there are pastors who put a weekly phone call into their schedule to connect and pray with an old seminary buddy. Sixth, some guys meet Sunday mornings before church. Their body clock awakens them early anyway. They meet and get home in time to help get the kids out the door for Sunday school and or church. Seventh, some guys who have high school kids who sleep in or are empty nesters meet Saturday mornings. But of course, this time is awful for young husbands and dads. Eighth, some men's Bible studies have expanded the prayer request portion of the study and use the questions to help them focus on each other's battles. But ninth, the favorite is meeting for an hour at lunch weekly. Hundreds, if not thousands of these groups meet around the country. One church had 23 groups of guys meeting in twos, threes, or fours at Pentagon City in Virginia. And finally, the story of a man who said he was so busy because he was on duty 24-7 caring for his wife with Alzheimer's disease. I said, I have no idea how God could provide this kind of brother for you, but I believe God doesn't want men fighting their spiritual battles alone. So put it before God. Pray about it. The next time I saw him, he came bounding up to me and he said, man, I've been talking to a guy from an old Bible study on the phone. I started out doing it once a week and now I talk with him almost every day. He's my lifeline. So may I ask, are you being as enriched as you could be to flourish for Christ through connection to some brothers who have your back? What would it cost you to go deeper with some brothers? The cost of time, energy, and determination is high. But the great principle of Christ's kingdom seems to be that of denying ourselves, because that is the path of life 
Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We deny self to love Christ well, filling us with satisfaction. We deny the cries of our aching bodies to work out and feel fit. We overcome our selfishness to love our wives well and then reap the fruit of her loving response to us, sometimes. We deny ourselves to save money for a down payment and then enjoy a beautiful home. We deny our right to the freedom to relax when we're off duty at home to focus on our mission and know the pleasure of seeing fruit that honors Jesus. And today, the challenge of sucking it up to keep trying to find the brothers you need to run beside you in the race marked out for you by Jesus. As we've seen in this episode, Paul said it in Ephesians 4, the early church lived it, and Jesus modeled it. Two are better than one. Stu Weber points out, even nature teaches us that lesson. He writes, Wildlife biologists tell us that a flock of geese by flying in a V formation actually adds at least 71% more flying range than if each bird were flying on its own. As each bird flaps its wings, it actually creates an updraft for the bird immediately following. Left to itself, the lone goose experiences a drag and resistance that causes it to long for the flock. When the lead bird in the formation tires, it simply rotates back in the wing and another flies the point. Draft horses experience a similar, if earthbound, dynamic. Draft horses were made for pulling. Some years ago at a Midwestern County Fair, the champion animal pulled a sled weighted at 4,500 pounds. The second place animal dragged 4,000 pounds. Then someone proposed harnessing the two big fellows together to see what they could do as a team. Together they pulled 12,000 pounds. So let me ask the obvious. If our feathered friends know it and the four-footed beasts experience it, Why should we be so slow to learn it? Together is better, especially when hardship presses in and there's a tough pull ahead. To summarize this episode, we saw that like the first two episodes in this series, shaping life by Christ's priorities requires paying a price. In this case, time, energy, and determination to forge the brotherhood connections men need. Paul's teaching in Ephesians 4 that isolated men will remain spiritual midgets, never growing up into Christ. The example of Jesus' personal life and the Acts 2.42 description of life in the early church reveal the truth that God never intended Christian men to fight their spiritual battles alone. But in our mobile, independent-minded culture, it is much easier for Christian men to remain in isolation. We then examined some tools from a book I wrote called Got Your Back, Helping Christian Men Forge the Brotherhood Connections They Need. It helps men think outside the box to try to steal an hour, usually attached to their work schedule, to connect with a few brothers. You can see your show notes for a link to the video that tells more about the book and the impact that it is having. For further prayerful thought, number one, how would you explain to a new Christian Paul's teaching in Ephesians 4, 15-16, that Christ followers make a vertical commitment to Christ and a horizontal commitment to other Christians 
as we together function as Christ's body in the world. See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Next week, we begin a series entitled Helping Dads Guide Their Kids into a Biblical Worldview. As Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden as its protector, men today are to be the protectors of their children. In this civilized postmodern culture, the biggest dangers to our children are the ideas that can take their thinking captive, turning them away from confidence in the scriptures. But guiding them to embrace biblical truth on various topics is tricky because it requires being aware of what they're hearing and being winsome as we guide them into God's truth. We'll look at worldviews being promoted in our culture, but start next week with how to be winsome. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by equipping them and inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.